This is Jack Scallions. Would you join me for just a few moments from my heart to yours? For too long, the word Christian has been used with few restrictions as an adjective. We speak of Christian publications and Christian schools and even Christian nations. A deep dive into some of these organizations reveal little or no recognizable tenets of true Christianity. So, what does it mean when the label Christian stands alone? The word was used for the first time to describe and identify a, a little band of disciples. The Bible says, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It could be argued that this may have originated as a term of derision. Christ had been crucified, and now his converts were busy spreading the news of his resurrection. They were soon identified as little Christ. Labels are easily acquired as actions categorize entities. I can be classified as a conservative Christian easily by those who listen to me speak and watch my behavior or read my words. It is customary to earn a title by telling out one's belief through everyday actions. To deny the core of any belief system will negate the meaning attributed to the initiator of that system. Certainly this is true to the nth degree, with no exceptions. Does anyone have the right to self-identify as a Christian while their actions and associations deny the very tenets of Christianity? Well, the bar has been lowered, definitions have been rewritten, and often tainted so that the mantle Christian is worn by a host who never qualify biblically. To say that you're a Christian is easy. To pass as one in a society of relativism is not only possible, but it is probable. Only God can know for sure when it comes time to separate the wheat from the chaff. A noted evangelist stated that the church is a great mission field of the unconverted, who have a high caliber of religion but have never been born again. Judas Iscariot walked with Jesus for three years and heard him speak and uh, his teachings and saw his miracles and rubbed shoulders with his disciples, yet unconverted, he fooled everybody but Jesus. This fact came with emphasis from the lips of our Savior in Matthew 7. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, how have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus reserved his harshest words for the religious hypocrites of his day. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 23, he referred to them as blind guides and serpents and a generation of vipers and pretenders and fools and whited sepulchers. In stark contrast to today's cry for inclusivism, the true Christian will find it impossible to harmonize with the world. A Christian then is an anomaly, a deviation from the common rule, type, arrangement, or form. A true believer who refuses the world's fashions and sordid entertainment and humanistic amoral lifestyle is branded as a fundamentalist rube out of step with society. The Bible describes Christians as a peculiar people, zealous of good works. By nature, the life of a Christian cannot be synonymous or even parallel with the unbeliever, but is always perpendicular. 
The unbelieving world is marching toward eternity on a broad four-lane highway with true believers traveling the median in the opposite direction. The Bible says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The devil's tactics today have always been infiltration, intimidation, and imitation. No wonder today's churches are so worldly and the world is so churchy that it is difficult to tell them apart. Am I suggesting that becoming a Christian is a complex and difficult decision requiring perfection? Absolutely not. In fact, true Christianity belief is so simple a child can enter in. But there are so many religions. Well, certainly all of these cannot be right. And the answer to that is that there's really only two. The most traveled path is paved by works and good intentions. The narrow road is only filled with those whose burdens have been lifted by grace and grace alone. It is of little wonder that there are a few in comparison that are actually born again since man strives valiantly for self-exaltation when repentance is what is needed. The Christian is in this world, but not of the world. The Christian is born on the earth, but is not at home here. The Christian walks this earth while he is seated in heavenly places. The Christian is admonished to be poor and lowly, yet he is a child of the king. The true Christian realizes he has been changed and has an irrevocable commitment, dies daily to self, carries his cross, and has a sworn enemy who seeks to destroy him. The simple verse, John 3.16, explains this, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is not complex, involving only three elements. First of all, God's agape love. Secondly, Christ's substitutionary vicarious sacrifice for sin. And thirdly, belief in him alone. Some have declared the word so in that verse as the greatest word, and it is in relation to God's love. In my humble opinion, in relation to man's part, the two words in him become the heart of true salvation. For you see, in him narrows the field to the one who declared himself to be the only way to God. True salvation is not in Christ plus anything. Church membership, baptism, good works, ceremonial rituals, or a person's heritage play absolutely no part in salvation. Logically and scripturally, if salvation could be gained in part or totally by works, then Christ's death was in vain. I conclude it blasphemy to bring Cain's basket of fruit when the Lord declared the blood of the Lamb the acceptable sacrifice. Some systems are easily understood as non-Christians, making no claim to include Christ, while the most danger to the eternal soul is a mongrel mixed message with Christ holding a meager place. A Christian is by no means perfect, but eternally forgiven. A partaker of a new nature, recipient of new discoveries, enjoying the camaraderie of a new family, the ease and open access to becoming a Christian is trumpeted throughout the pages of Scripture. It is the muddying of the water by those who add human efforts to the equation that turns a clear path into a bramble path. Today's theologians, 
that mismanaged the grace message are like the Pharisees of Jesus' day who shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, not going in themselves or permitting others the privilege. The point to remember is that the new birth is from above and comes with a new nature. From the moment of spiritual conception, old things begin to pass away and all things begin to become new. There's something drastically wrong when an external change doesn't follow an internal commitment. A new Christian does not become sinless, but will find himself becoming a person who sins less and less. The Holy Spirit indwells a new believer, and there is a a distinguishable hunger for the Scripture and a desire to be with other believers. God uses the precepts of Scripture and the providences of life to perfect or mature the new believer over his lifetime. A new Christian is like a new baby, needing nutrition, exercise, and cleansing. The Bible, the church, and the inner workings of God's Holy Spirit meet those every need. Deny a new believer these necessary ingredients and his spiritual growth will be stunted. John made salvation clear in John 3.16 when he noted our belief must be in him. The counterfeit Christianity of today bears his name while rejecting him and his teaching. The Laodicean imposter leaves Christ outside standing at the door knocking to gain entrance. It's not difficult to tell the difference between the false and the genuine. The Bible clears that issue perfectly when it begins to say, or when it does say in John 3.16, we are to be in Him. Are you in Him today? Oh, I want to thank you for taking for just a few moments today as I bring you a few thoughts from my heart to yours. 